Well, hey, guess what? We're going golfing. You know, I, 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 bought, a, I bought a new set of golf clubs about a year ago. I, I, I've actually enjoyed golf now. Does any, have any of you ever here played golf? Have you tried? Yeah? You like it? You don't like it. Okay. Well, it is kind of a frustrating thing, you know, uh, especially when you don't hit the ball well, you know. It just kind of happens. But you know, there's one thing that I really like about golf is I like to find golf balls. Yeah, you know what? I don't know. You know, one of the things I used to do when I was your age, I lived not too far from a golf course, and I used to go hunt for golf balls every day in the summertime, walk through the tree line and find all these golf balls. Well, hey, look at this. I want to show you. I found a... I just... I, every time I go to the golf course, I find golf balls. I mean, I've got a ton of golf balls in here. I suppose I should probably empty this bag out. As a matter of fact, I've probably got maybe 200, 250 golf balls at home in my garage and boxes. Look at this, we got all kinds of golf balls here. We got, oh, we got a top flight, okay. And what, do you, what does yours say? That actually says Titleist. Yeah, it says, this, this is one of those weird old golf balls, it says chaos. We got kind of a reddish golf ball, we got pink golf balls, we got yellow golf balls, we got orange golf balls, we got white golf balls, we got and they're all different names. We got Titleist, and we got Callaway, and we've got Top Flight, and we got Chaos, Pinnacle. There we go. We got a Pinnacle. But you know, we got all kinds of golf balls and all different kinds of colors, don't we? But you know what? They all do the same thing. It doesn't matter whether they're white or whether they're yellow or whether they're red or whether they're orange or whatever color they are, they all are meant for the same thing. And you play golf with them, don't you? I thought this would be a way of explaining, uh, there's, there's one of the readings that we're going to have today. The Apostle Paul writes to the Church of Galatia, and he says, there's no longer Jew nor Greek, there's, never, there's not slave nor free. Everybody, everybody's the same. It doesn't matter because in the eyes of Jesus and in the eyes of, of God, we are all the same, and we all are here for the same purpose. And that is to be the recipients of God's love and his grace and his mercy in our lives so that we can then go out into the world and share that same love and grace and mercy that we get from God. And we get to share that love with the whole world, with all the people that you and I have opportunity to be in touch with every day of our lives. In the eyes of God, you're all the same, okay? Just like these golf balls, it doesn't matter if I got red ones or pink ones or yellow ones or white ones or blue ones or I even have some purple golf balls. It doesn't matter. They all have the same purpose and the same thing with us. Pretty cool, huh? Yeah. Okay. Well, try and remember that today. God still loves you and still God wants you to keep on loving the people around you, okay? Today's reading is from the third chapter of Galatians. Hear now God's word of hope for his people. Now before faith came, we were imprisoned and guarded under the law until faith could be relieved. Be, be revealed. Therefore, the Lord, the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came so that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer subject to a disciplinarian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. 
There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male or female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Out of respect for the gospel, I encourage you to stand as you are able. Our gospel reading today is from the eighth chapter of Luke, beginning at verse 26. Glory to you, O God. Well, uh, just to give you a little bit of a precursor here of what has happened before, Jesus and his disciples are out on the Sea of Galilee, I believe it is, and a storm has come up. Jesus is sleeping in the boat, and the disciples get a little bit anxious, and they call upon Jesus because they're fearful that they're going to drown. And so he gets up and he rebukes the wind. And then our passage picks up here today as they're continuing on their, their boat journey. It says that they sailed to the region of the Garrisons, which is across the lake from Galilee. And when Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. And for a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. And many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. But Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, because many demons had come into him. And they begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs were feeding there on the hillside, and the demons begged Jesus to let them go into them. And he gave them permission. And when the demon came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down that steep bank and into the lake and was drowned. And when those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this to the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they found the man for whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. And then all the people of the region of the garrisons asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. And so he got into the boat. And as he was getting into the boat, the man from whom the demons had gone out begged him to go with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. And so the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. The Gospel of our Lord. I invite you to join me as we pray together the Holy Spirit prayer in our time of meditation together this morning. Let us pray. Come Holy Spirit and fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in us the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, and we shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. God, who by the light of the Holy Spirit, who instructs the hearts of the faithful, grant that by that same Holy Spirit we may be made truly wise and ever rejoice in his consolations. This we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. 
I want to remind you again that that prayer has been around for over 1,600 years. 1,600 years that prayer has been prayed by people of faith all around the world, by thousands upon millions of people. This gospel account, I think, at least in my opinion, this gospel account, I think, is one of the strangest and weirdest stories in the Gospels. It's a, it's a, it, it's a visual text. I don't, I don't know if you were visualizing all of this stuff that was going on when it was being read, but this is certainly one of those texts that you can just see it all happening as it's being read to you. It's just right there before your very eyes. Your, your mind is imagining all of the stuff that's going on. It's almost like some of my dreams that I have. You know, I have some really weird, strange dreams. Well, this, this sounds like one of my weird, strange dreams. You know? I mean, how can we explain stuff like this? You know, we're sleeping at night and we're just we're dreaming about these, these, uh, these people, these, these spirits that are possessed in this man, and all of a sudden they're just kind of taken out and they go into these pigs and you can just see it in your dream. It's transpiring right before you, you know, and these pigs are running down this steep hillside. It's weird stuff, you know? I mean, it's, it's, it's the stuff that dreams are made of, right? It's like, where did this come from? Well, I feel a bit that way today as I've read this passage numerous times throughout this week. You know, and I think one of the things that happens when we hear texts like this is that we get ourselves caught up in the bizarre and the weirdness of this story. And I think it ends up distracting us from seeing and hearing a deeper, more meaningful purpose behind what's transpired. When we hear this story and when we read this story, we have a tendency, I think, at least I have this tendency. I'm only speaking for myself, maybe perhaps for you as well. But I have a tendency to step back from it or to see myself as a bystander watching this whole encounter between Jesus and this possessed man literally transpire before my eyes. Or another thing that we have a tendency to do is we Think about this man and what kind of a miserable life that he's had so far and we take pity on him. Or maybe you find yourself saying, <laughs> I'm glad it's not me. I'm glad I wasn't that guy. You know, I mean, I, th- I think we have all kinds of things that kind of go through our mind because one of the things that we say is that we cannot relate to this because we don't find it to be something that we encounter as part of our circumstance or our conditions in life. None of us here probably have ever imagined ourselves either being in this kind of a position that this man is in. We have a real hard time relating to him. And I think it's fair to say that this possessed man was not experiencing life with a sense of wholeness or well-being. And that's putting it lightly. I mean, let's take a look at this guy for a minute. He was labeled, he was ostracized, he was oftentimes tried to be controlled by being chained, but they couldn't control him with that. 
He was considered to be an outcast. I think we can say that he was a man that either was without a family or he was a man whose family had at least disowned him or had abandoned him from his family of origin. We know that this man was alone, that he spent his time in the tombs, in the caves, walked around without any clothes on, and I would imagine we could probably say he was homeless. His life was not whole, and his sense of well-being, it literally was non-existent. Or another way of describing his life, and this is putting it lightly, his life was not life-giving. Ten days ago, Kim and I got on a plane and went to Seattle, and we celebrated the graduation of our son, Zach, who got his master's in education from Seattle Pacific University. While we were there, we traveled around the city a lot, and I saw, with my very own eyes, I saw the legion. Legion means many. As I traveled around Seattle, I saw the legion. I saw the many and the numerous conditions all throughout the city that strip people of their means of control, of their means of dignity, or even their sanity. On practically every single exit off of the freeway in Seattle, there is a tent city. All over Seattle, there's these old, run-down, 35, 40-year-old campers parked along the side of the street with generators and propane tanks. People living on the street, literally on the street. As I drove down First Avenue in Seattle, sat at a stoplight, I couldn't help but look out the window, and there was a man sitting there just kind of existing people walking by as if he doesn't even exist. I saw the legion. I saw the legion. And I experienced it for myself, the multitude of anonymous people. And yes, I experienced the callousness, the callousness that I felt personally along with almost everyone else who simply passed by all these people who simply had become a part of the landscape. It has become so commonplace for us to simply see this as normal. Our eyes, our hearts, our minds, our culture, we've become accustomed to the normality of the homeless human landscape. I really believe that this story before us today this story is our story. It is our reality. It is who we are, even yes, today. Who we are today. When we are honest with ourselves and we face the truth about ourselves and our human condition, we too are a part of and we too are experiencing those things about life that are not life giving, those things that we obsess about, 
Those things that we are addicted to, those things that make us trapped in circumstances, that make us feel less than human, that oftentimes make us feel all alone. Not unlike this possessed man in this story today. The story refers to the man living in the tombs, in the caves, in a place where he's alone, where he's estranged, where he's ostracized, and he's living amongst the dead. And this is not to suggest that you and I live amongst the dead or that we are possessed, but that our human condition is such that we can and we do find ourselves being in places and in circumstances that are not truly life-giving. As I've reflected upon this story before us today, I can say to you with absolute certainty that this is another story, another gospel story, that reveals to us the very nature. This is a story today about the very nature of who Jesus is and what his mission was all about. This isn't really a story about this possessed man. It's all about what Jesus' mission is all about and what his purpose was. And I think if you and I take some time and we reflect back on and we think back upon all of the stories and all of the encounters that Jesus has had with people, and there are many and there are numerous, over and over again, they are accounts of people who have heard of the works and the wonders that Jesus has done, and they end up seeking him out because they want to receive that which is something that they get from him that becomes life-giving. Or some of the accounts, much like the one that we have before us today, these accounts of Jesus who himself, if we find him seeking, Jesus is the one doing the seeking and looking for ways to reveal the kingdom of God in the people's midst that he encounters Jesus is seeking out this man. He's seeking us out and to bring the kingdom of God near to us, near to this man. I think today is another day for us to be reminded again of Jesus' purpose and his mission. We heard him speak it way back when he was in the synagogue, when he read from the scriptures and he said, Today the Spirit is upon the Lord, the Spirit of the, Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, he sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to let the oppressed go free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. How often, how often do we seem to overlook or how often do we seem to forget that Jesus was and that he is and still is the incarnate Son of God, God in human flesh, and that he certainly had the capability and the spiritual connectedness to be drawn to certain people or circumstances, much like in the story before us today. I appreciate what David Lose asserts in his commentary. He says, this is what Jesus does. He seeks out and he finds the lost. He seeks out and he finds the lost. And I'd like to say, that he gives people that which is life-giving. He gives them himself. The Lord and Savior that I have come to know and that I have the privilege to share and to proclaim to you today is the Lord and the, who will allow nothing, 
Jesus will allow nothing to prevent him, and he will allow nothing to stand in his way from seeking you and me out. Jesus will allow nothing to stand in his way from seeking you and me and touching us with his love and his forgiveness, his healing power, and his acceptance. My favorite passage in the Bible is Romans 8, the very last few verses. What can separate us from the love of God? Absolutely nothing. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I want to conclude with the words written by my colleague, Pastor David Loos, who wrote so eloquently, he says, Jesus is still doing it. He is still going out of his way, still taking the long route, still crossing over the waters, still crossing over the boundaries, still daring to meet us in the middle of our tombs in order to hear and restore us. And if Jesus goes so far out of his way as to encounter this one man, what will keep him from seeking us out, from meeting us where we are and accepting us as we are, from inviting us to come out of the tombs, from daring us to imagine life in abundance, from bidding us to share the good news of what has been done for us. The answer, in short, is nothing. Nothing will keep Jesus from reaching out to us, finding us, accepting us, releasing us, calling us, and loving us, nothing. Amen.